Welcome to the podcast, Meet My Potential, where Deepa chats with leaders around the world once a week or simply shares her insights. This podcast is for those who aspire to meet their highest inner potential. Each episode brings you one simple tool that you can apply at work or in life. Hello and welcome to this episode on how to increase the chances of success of your change program. Today we have with us Giovanna Manto. Welcome, Giovanna. Well, thank you, Deepa, for inviting me. I'm honored to be with you today. (laughs) Great. (laughs) All right. Good. So why did this topic basically interest you in the first place? Yeah. My research highlights the key challenges experienced by field practitioners in delivering change programs that want to achieve what they say they'll do. Change the old ways of working and make these ways more sustainable and effective in the longer term. So this topic grabbed my attention when I observed evident incongruence coming from the leadership of an organization that had involved me and my talented partner to design and deliver a change program for them. This program aimed at shifting the way people trust each other. The objectives of this project were quite lofty and the investment this company was willing to put was considerable. So all in all, the premise set was quite good. What struck my curiosity were these inconsistent messages coming from the diagnosis interviews. Mm-hmm. There were strong doubts, I found resistance, unspoken frustration, and assumptions not cleared that were especially coming from the very top leadership that had commissioned the work. So the sort of go out, change this organization, but please leave me alone. So the very people who hired you to make the change happen were not supporting the change. Did I get that right? Yeah, they were skeptical. They were a little bit cynical as well. So I bet quite a few of your listeners today are quite familiar with the statistics that roughly 70% of the change initiatives go wasted, right? The outcomes remain too fleeting. So in some instances, these initiatives seem to be more of a mass-do exercise rather than an authentic, deep commitment to change. You grabbed my attention right at the beginning when you said that the very people who hired you to make the change happen were not really supporting it. So, and you went out and you researched this in your studies in INSEAD. So what were some of your findings? Let's get to the main reasons why organizations, especially this particular one, failed to make the change happen. Yes. Well, the main themes emerging from interviewing field practitioners were pointing clearly at four major hindering factors preventing organizations from making the most out of their change initiative efforts. Mm -hmm. The first factor was clearly pointing at the inconsistency of the top leadership. As inconvenient as this may sound, the top leaders looking at changing their companies are part of the equation while facing the hardest challenges of transformation. It turns out that the leaders struggling to initiate change agency see change as something involving many others and not themselves. They fail to set an authentic example of of willingness to be open to change. From a socio-systemic point of view, if the top of an organization is ambivalent, the rest of the organization will be ambivalent. A few doubts here. So, right, exactly. <laughs> the leader sets the weather of the department. The leader sets the weather of the organization. If the leader is running and doing things in a hurry in the very last minute, yeah. everybody else is also going to be following and doing the very same thing. 
Exactly that. Well, I'm a big fan of your podcast, Deepa, and I've paid close attention to the episodes you produced so far. Many of your guests Thank have you. spoken at length about the challenges that leaders right, encounter while dealing with organizational change. So, honestly, the key point that leaders seem not to have fully grasped so far or not having given their utmost attention is that organizations are made of individuals. And if these leaders want to change and transform their organizations, First, they want to support their people in changing and transforming. And this process starts right from themselves. So I won't get tired to emphasize this point enough. No matter how well designed and executed this program may be, if individuals and the leaders in the first place are not open to transform themselves, the outcome of any program will remain pretty general. Right. Involve yourself in the circle. Involve yourself in the equation. Time and again, this is a very consistent message that I've seen. And in my own experience in different projects that I have run, when leaders call me and say, my team is not working together, people are working in silos. And when I talk to the team members, they say that the leader is talking to us one by one and not addressing the issue to all of us as a team. And then (laughs) in another example, when people say to me that I think that all the people below me, the N minus two people, they don't know what the other people are doing. People are not coordinating with each other. And then when I ask the manager, do your first level people know or are interested in what their colleagues are doing? And the answer was, no, they're not Hmm. interested. So... My N minus one is not really interested, but I want my N minus two people to really be interested in each other's work and support each other. Those are very typical and glaring examples of how the problem is out there, but it's not for me to look at. Yes, for leaders is so vital to being courageous and curious, being willing to take some risks and learn from what it comes out day by day. So... (laughs) Though it's not a sufficient condition to ensure success, it's definitely a necessary one. Right, exactly. So that's the first one is involve yourself in the equation. And as Mahatma Gandhi said, be the change you want to see in the world. And he was so right when he said that not only for the country, but also for organizations. Every change has to start with ourselves. Thank you. And so what's the second hindering point? Yeah, the second one the research pointed out is the lack of synchronicity. So in these less effective programs, some leaders failed to cascade actions and messages at the same time with the same pace and weight throughout the organization. So paying attention to the differences of the specific cultural needs if necessary, like in the case of multinational companies. Cascading at the same time the actions and messages of a change program, what it does allows to leverage on the momentum of the investment and includes all the key organizational members with a failure process, giving them the same vocabulary and the vision of the intended shift. Right. So I see a lot of organizations go through transformations, especially moving towards agile way of working. And one of the things that I've noticed is when one department takes lead or feels that their project can be more adapted to an agile way of working and other departments are much more bigger and much more slower in the process of transformation, the levels of maturity are completely different in different departments. And as levels of maturity are different, coordination becomes difficult, Mm. having uh, similar processes becomes much more difficult. Yeah. 
Yeah, indeed, that is a big issue. And paying attention to this factor, it's really key in assuring good success. Okay, great. So the second point is about synchronously launching all the change activities worldwide at the same time with the same level of intensity to keep the dynamism. Yes. And if it's not worthwhile, because of course it, it would be too complicated and huge, specifically for our big multinational companies, mm-hmm. at least for the affiliate, paying attention of the cultural needs and go live at the same time. Do not involve just specific people, but all together, they want to know what's happening. Right. And this could also involve suppliers and the way suppliers are working. So you're, it's the whole ecosystem is yeah. driven to change all at the same time in the synchronicity. Yeah. Great. Okay. So, and so I'm getting curious now. What, mm-hmm. So what was the third point that you found? Yeah. The third main theme was around psychodynamics and how they may get misunderstood in an organization. As we've seen earlier, psychodynamics are those psychological shifting mechanisms that drive people's behaviors. These are dynamics that happen at a more or less conscious level. Often these change programs go deep into people's essence of being, which by the way may be quite intimidating for many people. These concepts introduce uh, emotional intelligence, mental flexibility, active listening, creative leadership, self-transformative way of living one's own life. There are so many concepts out there. When these concepts are well understood and used properly, give people more awareness on how they can influence others and take others with them in the work they do. So the people who understand and use psychodynamics can listen better and be more empathic of others. They are (laughs) consciously aware of the complexity of human behaviors and have developed through practice a higher threshold of tolerance towards the volatility, the uncertainty, and the ambiguity of today's business world. All these things put together is like, wow, are we asking for a very perfect profile here? Is this even humanly possible in an organization to find somebody who can listen, who can be empathetic? No, it's not. And my model actually suggests a solution that I'll touch upon later. What I want to stress now is that by design, the interviewees in my research worked as internal or external change practitioners in organizations. What they experienced in several instances was the psychodynamics concepts were labeled as soft stuff with people being generally sarcastic about them or attaching a low value. Therefore, these organizations tended to undervalue the gifts of psychodynamics. And the news is that more and more organizations now find themselves in complex and volatile markets where products must be reinvented and adapted continuously, while customers have become more informed and demand a higher quality or lower price. So grasping how psychodynamics work that is embracing and dealing with people's unpredictability and apparent irrationality is all the way essential. Well, you can't be more right. I've just walked out of a meeting where one person said to me, 
the bi-monthly meetings are not very effective. And when I asked him why, and he said, well, people mm. are not rigorous. They don't turn up for the meeting. If only people <laughs> would turn up for the meeting, then everything would be fine. I said, so what do you want? I just want people mm. to turn up for the meetings. What kind of mindset shift do you think is needed? I want them mm. to be more rigorous. And so there is really something much more beyond being rigorous is what's really happening is that the leader is doing things in the very mm. last minute. The leader is canceling yeah. meetings in the last minute. The leader is not is in a very reactive mode. And so all the people are also exactly copying those exact same behaviors and yeah. working in the same way. And so not being able to look at below the surface, what's mm. going on? Yeah. What's the mindset shift? What's the soft stuff? What is it yeah. that we're not deeply listening to? If I really pay attention and listen to myself, then I'll perhaps realize that yeah. this is not priority to my colleague and that's why he doesn't turn up to those meetings. And if I really deeply listen to my colleague, I can perhaps hear mm. some frustration of change in priorities and not having a clear vision and not having a clear purpose. And you just nailed it. And we're not really listening for those stuff. Indeed, we are not. And leaders want to pay more attention to those factors indeed. Well, I think one of the reasons is because like, most of these people are high achievers who are very action biased, who have worked very hard and gotten their way. And so what's gotten them here by working mm -hmm. hard, by getting things done, by moving and being self-sufficient, being strong, is not actually getting them to the next level. No, it's not. And so <laughs> got you here, won't get you there, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And now something softer is needed. Yes. Yes. And it's actually not that soft. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so the soft stuff is getting hard, yeah. actually. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so, all right. So that takes us to the fourth point. And tell yeah. me what that is. Yeah. Yeah. It relates with the lack of safe space and intentional time dedicated to the reflection for learning. And what do we mean by that? At mm -hmm. its core, reflection for learning is to make space and time to ask ourselves those tricky questions that help us take the temperature, so to speak, on how effectively we are doing in our work. Well, this is a concept that agile organizations have become accustomed to in those retrospective meetings they do, <laughs> where teams working together on a project make regular time to gather and reflect on what went well or what the areas of improvement are. I would love to assist one of those meetings yeah. because... I am so biased, especially coming out of this team meeting right now. I kind of get the feeling that that would also be, again, a very technical retrospective in terms of we need to be more rigorous to turn up on these meetings. And, and I think one thing that's important here in those meetings is, can we actually look at those meetings, listen deeply what's going on beneath the surface? So unfortunately, many business areas, and especially for those organizations where individuals and teams neglect to share and learn from each other, the outcome of this reflection, if any, is difficult to measure and therefore it's difficult to make it tangible. So the less careful organizations out there are likely to fall into the trap of ignoring what's not tangible and measurable. These organizations find more sensible to run at a neck-breaking speed to get things done without realizing that what they rush after is not even necessary. <laughs> Yeah, as mentioned, reflection for learning 
requires time and space and might also be too vague for some, but it turns out that the organizations that tend to thrive are also those that intentionally make time out of their busy schedule to offer the people a space where they can feel free and welcome the learning from their successes and most importantly, from their failure without feeling ashamed. <laughs> I like the last part where you mentioned that learn from your success. And I often say this to my clients, the more the failure is painful, yeah. the more you need to sit with it and look at it. Yeah. Yeah. Because the more you sit with the pain, it's not about getting into a space of sadness, but it's about the deeper the learnings you will have. Yeah, and it's very important to create this psychological safe space where these people can sit with their pain and feel it without feeling ashamed. Right, and safe space is so important for organizations, especially if managers need to feel that, well, if I talk about my failure, that I have failed to achieve my targets for this year, let's talk about it openly with my colleagues and with my boss. Mm -hmm. I in no way want to endanger my career, my progression in any way if I need to talk about that. So that's very important for organizations to provide that kind of a safe space. And the other point that you mentioned is take time out for reflection. We're all in an action-biased world, you know, go fast, speed, get this done, get that done, next meeting. All our agendas are so full, so booked. And I have no way, and I just don't know how to say this, there is so much value in not doing anything. Mm. (laughs) And if you ask me, what's the value of actually sitting still? Well, there's no value in that. And at the very same time, you need that stillness. You need that space of reflection in order to move forward. Sometimes those reflection spaces are not going to get you any tangible results, just like you mentioned. It's not going to give you any great output or any great action. Mm -hmm. And yet you need that reflection space to move forward. It's exactly like, you know, when you're in the elevator going up to the office, there is a moment when you're alone. Yeah, lovely. (laughs) (laughs) And there's a moment when there's no one watching you. There's a moment where you can't do anything. Uh That's a moment of stillness for yourself. Yeah. If you take it one level further, we need those moments of stillness Mm -hmm. for teams. For departments and for organizations to sit back, to look at the look yeah. at look at yourself from the balcony, look, look at how balcony. you're dancing, look at how you're performing. And that is so important because that's how you can strategize better, mm-hmm. not only for yourself, for your colleagues, and for your organizations, and bring out something of much bigger value. Indeed. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Excellent. So what are some of the solutions your research suggests? Yeah, put it simply, the solution that the study suggests is to get as much as possible thoroughly prepared and to prepare such conditions and minimize those hindrance factors we were talking about. Prepare yourself by hiring a triumvirate of key organizational members who can hold the space and contain the overall change anxiety that any transformation brings by nature. This triumvirate rests on three pillars. One taps on the strengths of business executives, the other on the strengths of HR professionals, and the last pillar taps on the strengths of external coaches and consultants. So this model is at these first stages and, of course, needs to be further tested. What we can argue at this point is that organizational transformations need to be sustained all the way. 
So what you're suggesting is for any change to be successful, we need these three pillars to work together in congruence. That is the executives, the HR, and the coaches. Yeah. Through a psychodynamic approach, what my research finds is that business executives are promoters and inspires, whereas the HR, they are the catalyzers. And the coaches and consultants, they are the facilitators. They bring in the expertise. So as such, it's important that the three have an overview Mm -hmm. of the change programs and support the top leadership that sponsors this program in cascading in synchronicity the program, in paying attention at the psychodynamics, and in truly belief in what the change programs can bring in. Wow. Well, it's a very, very complete process that I'm hearing from your side, which covers three main pillars, the HR, the coaches, and of course, the executives who set the pace, who set the rhythm, who set the weather of the organization, all three coming together, connecting with their heart and the mind. Excellent. Thank you very much for sharing your wonderful insights. And if you have one minute and in one sentence, one last message to the audience before we close the call. Ultimately, changing an organization is a marathon, not a sprint. We need to prepare ourselves carefully if we want to lead the process effectively. Once we have experienced the change on our skin, we will know what it takes. And depending from our role in the organization, we will be ready to join forces to win the trust of the whole organization. Excellent. Thank you very much for those wonderful words of wisdom. I do say that. As I have myself gone through changes, I know what it takes to make change happen for myself. And only when you know what it takes to make change happen for oneself, can you make it happen for your teams, for the organization and in the society at large. Thank you very much for being here with us. Yeah, it was my pleasure, Deepa. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you'd like to know more how you can meet your potential, check out www.meetmypotential.com. That's www.meetmypotential.com. Join us again. And until then, stay cool.